0: Thank you so much, Rachel. Appreciate it. Um, If you are elementary school aged, you are welcome to head up to the front studio for some sprouts. Um, Rachel, that last song there, uh, there was a line that said, I will walk through the fire with my head lifted high and I'll be revived by your story. And uh, um, it was interesting, Nicole's family every, every year for Christmas gives the family our Christmas gift is a trip, a destination trip somewhere over 4th of July. And, and so we, we went to Destin, Florida, we're out on the beach, and it's always over the 4th of July week, weekend, somewhere in there. And uh, it's Fourth of July. Apparently, Floridians uh, like to light off illegal fireworks. We didn't realize it was illegal, but the beach looks like a war zone, right? Like like fireworks shooting everywhere, and and uh, us good law abiding citizens, like we're not firing off. We're just go watching all the illegal people who are 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 firing them off. And we thought we were kind of safe. We're down by the water. And there was fireworks going off over here, over here. Ocean out here is just is beautiful, right? And and all of a sudden uh, these people over here, uh, they must not have like stabilized their aerials. And all of a sudden it tipped over and it shot a big aerial right in the middle of all of, not all of the grandkids, but half the grandkids. And it like exploded on them and they're like screaming and, and you know, like holding body parts and and stuff like that. So you assume the worst, we just run over there, right? And this is such a, proud dad moment, like, I, can I throw you under the bus? It's our anniversary, I get a pass today, right? I felt like a good dad because Nicole said, I saw the fireworks going off and I'm like, ah! <laughs> And me being the dad, I'm like, ah! So it's like, yeah, I'm a man, right? Um, but anyhow, uh, we, we run over there and like I can't hear, I can't hear, I'm uh there like that. And it, it it just in the in the in the moonlight, like it looked like a lot of blistering, you know how it looks kind of waxy and stuff. And um and so anyhow, we're like, like blood, and and Tatum is can't hear, and, and the other kids couldn't hear either. And so we're like quickly running them up the beach, and you have to walk up these stairs. And I'm like, medical emergency! Move out of the way! And all of a sudden, I realized there was this little old couple like walking down the <laughs> stairs. And, and later on, I caught a little flag. So like, yeah, way to like, like run over the senior citizens, right? Like, way to go, querying, but. Um, but anyhow, we get we get to the emergency room and we're kind of assessing all the damage and stuff like that. And and one of Tatum's cousins, sweet, adorable preteen girl, she is just the sweetest kid ever, um, all of a sudden I realized like clumps of her hair were were falling out because she took a shell to the back of her head and, and it singed it pretty bad. I mean, not like catastrophic or anything, but here you're a preteen girl. And like, you know, you're growing out your hair, you're all cute and pretty and everything like that. And all of a sudden your, your hair is like singed and, and the whole ER, the whole like room stinks like singed hair. And, and all of a sudden she's like, ah, and like for like probably 20 minutes, she's like in hysterics, like I'm going to lose all my hair, you know, and just like freaking out. And and when I when I and, and we're like, like when is an uncle like hey, kid your hair is gonna be okay you're fine you'll grow back you know this won't grow back yours will come on you know, and uh, but I that that lyric just really hit me to think that we can walk through the fires of life revived by the story of God we can remind ourselves what is true and that truth enables us to have the strength to walk through whatever fires might come and so just kind of cool God moment this morning, and we don't, you know, it, 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 yeah, it sucks, and, and it's not fun, but we can remind ourselves, hey, this is what's true, and, and so, God, we, we thank you for that, so, you know, be encouraged, be challenged, whatever, whatever you need this morning, so um, I love nature. I, I love especially trees. I am somewhat of a closet tree hugger. Is tree hugger even that, is that even a, politically correct term. Do we say tree huggers anymore? You know, all farmers in Nebraska are like, you're such a tree hugger. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know. But I love trees. They're just beautiful. I love God's creation. Um, I think they're really, really cool. However, I have a bit of an issue with a specific hybrid of tree. And I happen to, that was weird. Um, I just so happen to have two of this Type of tree that I don't like in my front yard, so I have to look at them every day, and they mock at me. Right? They're called fruitless pear trees. Fruitless pear trees. What's the point? Right? It's almost kind of like they were sitting around, and all the trees are like, like identifying, and like, what kind of you? Oh, I'm an apple tree. Oh, sweet, that's cool. What? Are you? I'm a pear tree. Oh, uh, I want to be a pear tree too. Okay, that's cool. And then after like a season, hey, you don't have any pears. Well, okay, just get another season, no pears. Uh, and finally, after a couple seasons of like not even producing one pear, they're like, oh, one, one, one tree goes, we're fruitless pear trees. And all the other are like, yeah, that was awesome. We're fruitless pear trees. Like, what's the point, right? How can you be a pear tree if you are a fruitless pear tree? You don't even give one pear. Right? Now, I know that there's probably scientific genetic uh, explanations for this, but you get my point, right? Like, why can't we just call it a, a whatever tree instead of a fruitless pear tree? I don't, I don't think they earned the right to be called pear trees, even fruitless, right? That's where we're going to see James go today in the next section um, in, in the book of James, now, I just want to, from the get-go, I want to just give a little bit of a, a warning, right? For some of us this morning, our religious church background, this is going to be a hard passage because it's maybe been misused, abused towards us. Maybe we have used it on others. And, and so I, I want to approach this with a massive amount of humility, of openness, and of caution okay but here's the thing it's in the bible and james wrote it james is one of the first new testament writers and and he's kind of on the on the opening scene we're talking just a few years after jesus um, and so we need to and say what what is going on with with what and so we want to approach this with, with humility, openness, and caution. We don't want to take it in the wrong way. I think we don't want to take it out of context and use in a legalistic way, but we also don't want to just ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. So... With that in mind, we are going to dig into James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. Um, it is going to be up on the screen throughout the morning. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to just keep your, your, your thumb there, your finger there, or whatever, because we're going to be kind of pulling through it uh, throughout the morning. So, James chapter 1, oh, sorry, chapter 2, verses 14 through 20 it says this What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, "Goodbye and have a nice day. Stay warm and eat well." But then you don't give them get you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? It's like James is having this, Conversation with this imaginary person who is trying to claim that I can have faith, but I don't have to have good deeds, right? Like I can say I believe this, but my life doesn't have to match it. And James is basically saying this morning, it can't be done. We're going to look at four truths and then three uh, clarifications from this passage. First of all, is that our acts, our deeds, our works, our lives are the evidence or fruit of our faith. Our acts are the evidence or fruit of our faith. We see that right at the beginning of the passage in the first part of verse 14. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Um, I like how James is pulling from what Matthew later on captures in chapter seven, verse 16 through twenty. Matthew says this, you can identify them, these these people, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Now, I know that there is a lot of truth to the saying, don't judge a book by its cover, right? Because all of us are coming from our own stories. All of us are, are bearing with us the marks of our journey, right? And so I might, I might um, uh, show the wear and tear of a difficult journey, right? Right? Um, I love the saying from Beth Moore where she says basically something to the effect of, don't wear uh, the scars of your past in, in, in uh, shame or embarrassment, but instead wear them as a badge of honor of what Christ has done in your life. And so sometimes we, we, we bear those marks of, of our past, but they can be. A, a symbol, a story, a way to tell the story of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. So we don't have to hide our, our past, right? And so sometimes I may, oh, you're, you look like a terrible person, whatever. Well, you're right, I used to be, but now I'm redeemed by Jesus and I'm loved by him and I'm, I'm on a journey being transformed by him, right? And so we can't always judge a book by its cover. However, here the Bible is saying that you can tell a tree by its fruit. The outside is often evidence of what's on the inside. How we act reveals what we really believe. I can say I believe this, but if I act completely a a contrary way, I don't really believe what I say I believe. I need to look at my actions to reveal what my actual beliefs are. Which leads us to, to point number two. Just saying you believe doesn't mean you actually do. Um, on the first week when we kicked off our James series, I had Aaron come up and like, do you trust me? Yeah. And he actually trusted me. He's foolish enough to actually trust this, right? And, and he, he followed around with blindfolded and he went through. He actually showed, I actually believe you. But if he would have just said, no, I'm going to go my own way. You say go left, I'm going to go right. You say go, I'm going to stop. You say stop, I'm going to go. What does he actually believe? He doesn't believe in me, right? And so his actions revealed what he really believed. James is saying that there's no uh, kind of evidence. if, If there is no kind of evidence or fruit, then do we really have faith? And if we don't really have faith in Jesus... How are we going to be saved? Because we are saved in Christ alone. I can say I'm a Christian, but if I live my life totally on my own terms, do I really believe in Jesus? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a a good person. I'm a good person, right? But then I go with what culture says or what my sinful, selfish nature says, or I I basically do my own thing and, and this is my world. God just gets to live in it, right? Then what's my actual belief? That Jesus is the cosmic sugar daddy in the sky. He's the cosmic slot machine, right? Every now and then it's gonna say a prayer and hope he gives me good things. Who's the real God in that scenario? Who's the hub of that wheel? I am. That was the original sin and it's continued ever since. We live in a culture that has massively shifted away from what God has revealed to us in the Bible. I'm good, I believe, I'm spiritual, I'm this, I'm that but what is it really based on? Who is the real God in that scenario? Instead, we need to listen to who God says he is. We need to to go to his word. We need to to listen to his spirit. We need to to watch and observe at what he's doing and then join in. And if we really truly believe in that God, it's, it's gonna show. Our fruit will reveal what we actually believe. What we do reveals our true belief. Third, James picks an example. He looks out the window of the synagogue or the house or wherever he's at, and he says, you want an example? Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Point number three, how we care for people in need is the fruit or evidence of our faith. Like I said, James looks out and the streets are lined with naked and hungry people. I mean, as great as the Roman Empire was, it had some faults, right? The rich were really rich and the poor were really poor and there wasn't a lot in between. And so you had just tons of people that were they didn't have enough money to buy even the, the, the tunic, right? Like the, the, the undercloth, the undergarment. And so they would sit out with maybe some rags covering them and they don't have enough for food. And so they're just begging and crying out, hey, help me, help me, help me, right? And then the rich, the elite would just kind of be going by and like, ah, uh, blessings on you. I hope you're well-fed. I hope you are fine clothing. Have a good day. Peace, Right? And, and, he's, and he's pointing out what's happening right in front of them. What's really interesting is that the early church was renowned for how they cared for the people in need. Orphans, widows, sick people, outcasts. They, they, they literally, um, they would go to, outside of these towns would be a, a, a trash heap and it would be smoldering, burning, rotting, festering, disgustingness. And remember, if you know your Roman culture is that children weren't really fully human yet. You had to become an adult male to be fully human. And so kids were possessions. If I didn't like you, I could take you out to the edge of town and kill you. You know, you talking to me, you talking to me, stab you, you're dead, right? Or I could just take you, if, if I didn't want a baby, I could just go take that baby out to the trash heap and just dump it out there. I don't even kill it. I'll just let it die on its own. The Christians were renowned for going out and they lived in the trash heaps. Why? Because they wanted to save these babies. And so you had all these babies coming from the trash that were left to die on their own and they would bring them into their home and they would adopt them and they would raise them as their family. That is a picture of the adoptive love of Jesus. That is what the early church was known for. The early church had Lydia, who is this rich, cloth dealer, right? She was well-to-do. She funded so much of the early church in her era, in her area. And she, she had a very successful, it says she dealt in purple linens. Well, purple was royalty. She was hobnobbing with royalty. And then you also have this homeless person come in who was maybe just healed from leprosy and was an outcast for years, and they, they're, they're in church together. They're worshiping together. They're sharing meals together. They're taking communion together. And James is saying, you have to take care of the least of these. You can't just say, I hope you have a great day and then keep on going your way. Jesus himself says this in Matthew chapter 25, uh, 34 through 40. You can read it later on. But he basically says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You comforted me. You, I was imprisoned and you, and you visited me. And as Jesus' followers are kind of like, wait, what? We, we didn't see you there. He goes, no, 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 no. I was the naked person, I was the imprisoned person, I was the the hungry person, I was the thirsty person. Whatever you did to them, you did for me. Like Jesus strongly equates these two together. We need to treat the people around us like they are Jesus himself. Here's the thing is if we really have faith in Jesus and we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus would walk into this room, we probably wouldn't be like, hey, uh, while you're on, coming in, Jesus, if you could grab me a refill on my coffee, I'd really appreciate it. Oh, by the way, thanks. Welcome to Greenhouse, right? We wouldn't do that. We'd all flock to him and say, are you kidding? You're Jesus, you're here. Oh, my gosh. Like, we would be enamored by him. And he says, anybody that walks in that door, we need a treat like that, right? Um, how are we doing with that? Do we treat everybody that we meet as if they are Jesus himself? Here's the other thing. Who does Jesus show extreme amounts of compassion to? The sick, the poor, the needy, the outcasts, the has-beens, the will-nevers, right? And, and so if that's who he loves, guess who we should love? We need to share the same heart as Jesus, now, here's a little caveat, and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about this um, towards the end here. But note that acts of service, good deeds, do not earn us salvation. Okay, They are evidence of our salvation. I know that, that there's a lot of thinking in our, in our minds that, well, if I do this, then I'm earn this. If I do this, then I can have that. And and it's kind of this earning wage, but instead, it being motivated by guilt or duty or selfish gain, we need to love because Jesus loves. He loved us that way, and he loves that person that way. So therefore, I am loved. I should share that love with who Jesus loves. Number four, faith without action is useless. Faith without action is useless. Again, he says we cannot separate our faith from our lives. Our faith should show itself in every other area of our lives. They're inseparable. Being a fruitless pear tree means that you're just a tree. You aren't a pear tree, right? To say I'm a Christian, but then not really knowing Jesus, following Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, relating with Jesus, and joining in with what Jesus is doing, if I'm not doing those things, then can I really be considered a Christ one, a Christian? A Christian means little Jesus or Christ's one. If I'm not following him, getting to know him, joining in with what he's doing, can I really say I am one of his? I follow him. If we're following, we're following at a really far distance, right? James says that faith without actions is useless. Now, here's three clarifications that that James gives. One is that real faith is not merely um, conceptual mental agreement. It's not just saying, yes, I believe that there could be a God. Yes, I really like a lot of what Jesus said and what the, what the myths say he did, right? I love the idea of Jesus. I love the idea of, of a God, right? It's, it's not just that. It's not saying, yeah, I believe that that could be. It means, no, I am all in. I believe 110% that Jesus is who he said he is, And that he did what he said he did. And that it means for us what he says it does. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, means that he is our Lord and King. So when we're evaluating our lives, when we're thinking about what I wanna do today, what I wanna do with my life, we don't just think through our own lens, We, we go to Jesus with that, right? We surrender that to him and we say, it's not just a mental Conceptual, oh, I like the idea. It's no, what does this actually mean for my life? Second is that real faith is more than just an emotional response. James goes for it. He says, Great, even the demons believe in Jesus. And guess what? They even have an emotional response. They they're terrified. They shudder. They shake when they hear the name of Jesus, right? And so a lot of times we think, oh, where's my emotional response? Oh, I just feel so good. I feel this or, or whatever. He says, that's great. You can have a great feeling or whatever, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that you actually believe it. It doesn't mean that you've actually surrendered to that. He, uh, it's, it's crazy that he literally uses demons, as an example of saying they know Jesus is real and they have an emotional response, but it's not enough to motivate them to surrender their lives to him, right? And that leads us to the last clarification is that faith requires or means that it is an act of our will. Real faith requires an act of our will. Now, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10 talks about how we are saved by grace, through faith in Jesus alone. That is the core of our faith. By grace. We are not saved by our action, we are not saved by our actions, we are not saved by our efforts, we are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace through faith. That means we put our faith in what Jesus has done for us in Jesus alone. Jesus plus anything means nothing. Okay? Remember that Jesus plus anything means nothing. So James is not going contrary to what all the rest of the Bible says. He's not saying you need to believe in Jesus and then work really hard and do your part to get the rest, right? Or or, Jesus did this and then I got to make up for the rest or I'm going to do this and then Jesus makes up for that. This is not what he's saying. He is instead telling us to pull back and to, to look, examine our lives to say, You say you believe, but now let's look at the fruit to see if we really do. That's kind of hard. Sometimes looking in the mirror, Nicole and I were kind of laughing after after a week on vacation and and different eating habits and things like that. It's kind of like, whoever at the end of vacation, the day you get back from vacation, I can't wait to step on the scale, right? I don't want to see what the scale says but it's gonna tell me the truth of what I just did for the last week, right? And, and it's kind of like that. He's saying, no, actually look in the mirror to see if you really believe what you say you believe. So a couple other things as, as we wrap up today. Um, this passage is not saying that grace without works is dead. I have literally had people tell me They've misquoted this passage and say, well, the Bible says that grace without works is dead. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It says faith without works is dead. We are not saved by our our faith. We are saved by grace, through our faith in that grace. Does that make sense? It's a big difference. It is literally a night and day difference. And so we cannot let this, we can we can't, let people misquote and misuse this passage to diminish the grace of Jesus and what he did on the cross and the empty tomb for us, right? And if you ever have anybody that, that says, well, grace without faith is dead, or grace without works is dead, it's not what it says. It's not what it means. It's not true, okay? We have to keep that in context with what the rest of the Bible says about salvation and deeds, The focus isn't on what we need to do to be saved. Rather, it's at looking if the fruit matches the tree. I like how, um, uh, not this Friday, but the Friday before at our men's Bible study, we're going through Romans. Uh, We looked at Romans chapter 10, verses one through four. Paul says this, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. He just says, if I want anything in life, I just want people in Israel to be saved. I want the religious people who think they know God but are completely misled to know God for real. Verse 2, he says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with Himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Because that's what they were taught their whole life is you have you have God and then he gives us the law and we're gonna serve the law because the law is what's gonna make us right from God. And my ability to do what the law says makes me worthy or unworthy, loved or unloved, right? And so they cling to that and they, they cling to the law instead of the giver of the law. But he says, um, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result all who believe in him are made right with God. I love that. That is the hope. That is the good news of Jesus is that Jesus already won for us our salvation. And then our response is to put faith in what Jesus has done for us. We get a, we get a just trust fall into his grace and his, his mercy and his love. But if we're not trust falling into that and we're still clinging to our old ways of, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, we're putting faith in ourselves. We're putting faith in the religion. We're putting faith in that leader. We're putting faith in something other than Jesus. And Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And then the last thing is to remember that we are all works in process. You might be like me and you're sitting there thinking, oh gosh, how do I know if I've done enough? How do I know if I have enough faith? How do I know? Because I still sin. I still struggle with greed or lust or anger or, or, or bitterness or, or, or whatever, right? Like I still am struggling with this. Does that mean I don't have enough faith? Does that mean I, haven't, I, don't, I don't have the faith that saves? Like, how do I know? How do I know? Relax, relax. If you put your faith in the grace of Jesus, he's got you. He has got you. And now the rest of our lives is living out that transformation, living out that salvation that he has given us. It's okay. We're all going to continue to struggle with sin. We're all going to still struggle with old patterns, with old things that we've struggled with for years. God's grace covers that. Instead of like feeling this guilt and the shame and, well, I got to do better. I got to do better. I got, you know what? Surrender to Jesus. Let him carry you, right? When he carried the cross, guess whose cross was that? That was yours. It was mine. And he carried that. He paid the price for those sins. And what we need to do is just go and surrender and just take that to him and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm, but, but thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, right? We're all in process together. So it makes life pretty interesting, right? Is that when we're in community, when we're in family, those, those sharp edges kind of rub together and it kind of exposes some, still some things that kind of aren't, aren't the greatest. But you know what? If we're a place of love and mercy and grace then we can process through and help each other through, that, through that, um, that whole transformation. So this week, let's examine the fruit of our lives. Let's look at what kind of tree that we actually are. If we don't see much, troop, let's, uh, much fruit, let's step back and let's say, why don't I see more fruit? Why don't I see more peace and love? Why don't I see more fruit of the spirit, right? And, and kind of look, what's stunting the growth of fruit in my life? Or if we step back and we say, I don't see any fruit, ask ourselves why. What is growing in its place? And then ask ourselves, have I really surrendered my life to Jesus? When I was a kid and over the years, to become a Christian meant that you asked Jesus into your heart. And it was kind of like, hey, here's my life. Welcome in. This is my life, right? It was kind of the unspoken thing. But as I grew and I matured, I realized salvation is giving my heart to him. It's not just opening up sections of it and letting him come in. It's literally, here you go, Jesus. This is all yours. There you go. That is what salvation is. That is what leads to freedom. That is what leads to the life that Jesus has called us to. The world doesn't need more fruitless pear trees. The, f- the world does not need more fruitless Christians. The world doesn't need more fruitless churches. It is in desperate need of followers of Jesus and churches that are filled with followers of Jesus who are burying the fruit of the spirit, who live that out in a loving, compassionate, hopeful, joyful way. That's my invitation. Let's look into this. Tuesday night, Thursday night, let's dig in, right? Let's, let's come ready to just kind of be vulnerable and share. And if, if we're struggling with something, guess what? You're not the only one. Because guess what? I probably am too. And everybody else in the room probably is as well. So let's, let's go to Jesus this week and let's say, God, examine my life. What fruit do I see? What fruit am I not seeing? And what do you want with all of this, Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. God, I thank you for how you designed us not to just be ornamental, decorative trees on the side. We're not shrubs. We're not something that can just be tossed aside, but rather, God, we're something that should bear your fruit. God, you designed us to contribute to this world. God, you've given us gifts that this world desperately needs. God, I pray that if there's any of us this morning that need that encouragement, God, if we've been struggling to know, why am I here? Why am I, why am I here on earth? Why am I here in Utah? Why am, I, why am I in this job? Why am I in this neighborhood? Why am I in this family? Why am I with these friends? God, I pray that you would just show us your purpose. God, show us the need of your fruit in those situations. God, I thank you for the fact that this is not a message of do more, work harder, be better. But rather, God is just surrendering to you and letting you do what only you can. God, we love you and we pray that you use your name. Amen.